0: If you'll open your Bibles with me to the book of Genesis, chapter 12. Genesis, chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. Genesis 12, beginning in verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you will I curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. It was through this text, it was through this scripture, that God began to soften my heart to the thought of coming to the Spencerville Church. In fact, <laughs> in fact, when I was sensing that God was moving in this direction, and, and Christina definitely didn't feel it, I told her, you should read the story of Abraham, and you should go read the chapter in Patriarchs and Prophets, the call of of Abraham. She looks at me a little askance. You know, I'm a man. I'm a problem solver. You know how it goes. I don't know if I'm feeling this. Why are you feeling this? Well, here's how you solve it. Just go do what I did, and then you'll be okay. I still don't know if she ever actually read it or not, but this text is very special to me for that reason, and and. And I'm intrigued by this idea of the call of God. You see, I believe that God puts calls in all of our lives in one way or another. Some are very large, some are, some are smaller. And as I have examined this text and as, we look, as I've looked at the story of Abraham, there's several things that I see that are of particular uh, interest and, and relatable to us about the call of God. And so I'd like to share those with you this morning. But let's begin with prayer. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much that you have a call for each one of us. We saw evidence of that call today even with the baptisms of Kondwani and Linda. Lord, I pray that that each and every one of us will sense your appeal on our lives and our hearts even as we sit here in this sanctuary this morning. Teach us from Abraham's life about the calling of God. In your name we pray, amen. Amen. Genesis chapter 11 verse 27 introduces us to an entirely new family, an entirely new family. We haven't really heard about them before. We know that they're in the line of Seth, but, but we, there's no, been no other introduction until this genealogy in chapter 11 and verse 27. Now, here is what I notice about this family. This family is but a tiny little unit within the mass of humanity, in many ways, we would think potentially that if not for this text here in Genesis, they could otherwise be invisible, maybe even uninteresting and and of no consequential value in the big picture. And yet, we know, looking back on history, that, that this one family that could be, This tiny family, these these few people that responded to this call, though they may have seemed a a moment uh, invisible and inconsequential, this family became uh, the turning point in many ways of all history. In fact, the entire rest of the book of Genesis is predicated on this family. Abraham, his children, his grandchildren, and to a slight degree, the great-grandchildren. It all is rooted in this family family. Abraham is mentioned more than anybody else in the New Testament other than Moses. Moses is mentioned 80 times in the New Testament. Abraham is mentioned 78 times in the New Testament. References to Abraham's faith are mentioned Abraham's faith is referenced more than anyone else's faith in all the Bible. And yet it started with just a moment, a calling from God. God called a few members of this Family, one in particular, Abraham, Abram, later known as Abraham, to change the world. And here's the first thing I learned from the call of Abraham and the first thing I learned about God's calling from this scripture. The calling of God changes literally everything. It changes who we are. It changes the direction we're going. It changes the circumstances of our life. It could change where we are living. Pastor Jason and I have a friend named Kelly, and and we met Kelly several years ago. And when we met Kelly, Kelly was a stay-at-home mom. Her husband worked as a nurse uh, there at one of the local hospitals in the Central Valley. And and Kelly uh, was at home uh, helping take care of their three kids. And Kelly was... to, to put it mildly, extremely reserved, extremely reserved. In fact, Kelly was one that if she could avoid it at all costs, she would not even call to make her own doctor's appointments. She'd have her husband do it. She didn't even like to order pizza. She didn't want to call and order pizza. She would have her kids call and order pizza. She did not like talking to people. At all costs, she just preferred to not have to engage with people, especially strangers. Anyone else can relate to this? You can nod. If, if that's you, you probably don't even want to tell me. I don't want to talk to you about it. And this was Kelly. Well, Kelly, we met Kelly, and Kelly and her husband and their kids started coming to our, to our church, our church plant there in, in the Central Valley, and she fell in love with Jesus. And as she fell in love with Jesus, uh, she became more and more involved in the church. And, and before long, she sensed God laying a call on her life. And Kelly responded to that call, and Kelly became the Bible worker of our church plan. Now think about that, folks. I don't know if you know anything about Bible workers, but what do Bible workers do? They go to strangers' doors and knock. This was a lady that didn't even want to order pizza because she didn't want to talk to a stranger. But the call of God changes everything, and she continued to feel God's call in her life. Kelly continued to feel God's call in her life, and, and Jason and I, and uh, moved away, we helped plant that church there, and we moved away, and when we moved away from the Central Valley, the church that we were planting had about 35, 40 members strong. They were, they were active and regular and engaged, these 35 or 40 members. Kelly is now leading that church. She preaches about once a month, and she has elders preach uh, at other times, and that church has more than doubled in two years. It has, now has 100 people attending that church. She also is one semester away from finishing her master's in pastoral ministry, Something I've learned about the call of God is the call of God changes everything. The call of God changes everything. Her husband has told me, the fact that she even opened the door the day that your people knocked on the door is shocking to me. He's like, she doesn't like strangers. And yet God is using her. God changes everything. It's something I've learned. God's call changes everything in our lives. The other thing that I've, that I've discovered about the call of God as I read the story of Abraham, and that is, is that God is no respecter of persons. He's not worried about who the person has been or, or their training or their upbringing or their background or, or, or their family. He's no respecter of persons. In fact, when we read the story of Abraham, we don't get a laundry list of Abram's accomplishments before the call. Some people in the Bible, we can understand why God called him. If we read the story of Joseph, and we'll get to Joseph later on in our series in Genesis, but if we read the story of, of Joseph, what do we see? We see from, from Joseph that, that there was definitely preparation in preparing him for his work in Egypt, for his calling as the, the prime minister of Egypt. We can look back at his life and we can say, okay, we see how God was preparing him for this role. We don't see that in the life of Abraham. Also, in, in the life of Noah, we, we know that the Bible sets up Noah's calling by saying what? The, the Bible says that Noah was a righteous and just man in his time, and we, okay, that sets up Noah's calling. Now we understand why God called Noah. But the Bible doesn't give us the same insight into Abraham. It simply says that God called him out of his land. As he was. In fact, the insight that we have about Abram and his preparation before this calling comes from the book of Joshua. Joshua chapter 24, verses one and two. In Joshua chapter 24, verses one and two, Joshua was a man that was a leader of God's people hundreds of years after Abraham. But he's now speaking to God's people and instructing them. And in Joshua chap- uh, chapter 24, verses one and two, the Bible says this. Then Joshua gathered all the scrib- all the tribes, of Israel to Shechem and called for the elders of Israel for their heads for their judges and for their officers and they presented themselves before God and Joshua said to all the people thus says the Lord God of Israel your fathers including Terah the father of Abraham and the father of Nahor dwelt on the other side of the river in old times and they served other gods they served other gods In other words, Abraham's background and Abraham's preparation to be uh, a pivotal figure in all of Scripture is that he came from a family of idol worshipers. He came from a family that, that, that worshiped other gods and not just the one true God. God calls whom God calls irregardless of the past. That's what we see from the call of Abraham. I know many of you, if not all of you, have heard of Dwight L. Moody. Dwight L. Moody was probably the greatest evangelist of the the late 1800s. It's it's said that he probably preached to over 100 million people between the United States and Europe. And some estimate that over one million people were led to Christ in Dwight L. Moody's lifetime. They accepted Christ as their savior because of his influence. And many of us are still impacted by uh, Dwight Moody and his legacy. Some of you listen to Moody broadcasts and you've, you've seen the, the Moody Institute or you've read books from the Moody Institute. Well, Dwight Moody was someone that we can look back on his life and we can see clearly there's abundance of evidence that he is called. But listen to this. Moody's first application for church membership in May of 1855 in May of 1855 Moody applied to be a part of a church. He wanted to join a church. We voted people in today. We had baptisms today and Moody wanted to become a member of a local church and in May of 1855 he was rejected from membership. They said, "Nope, we won't receive you into membership." They didn't accept him into membership until May 4 of 1856. Now, now here's the reason why his his Sunday school teacher, Edward Kimball, wrote this about Dwight Moody. He said, I can truly say, and in saying it, I magnify the infinite grace of God as bestowed upon him. That's another nice way of saying, even though I'm about to say some bad things about Moody, uh, it's only to give God grace. It's kind of like how Southerners say, oh, they're such a foolish person, bless their heart. You know, uh, we, we kind of try to cover up our our, our thing there. So he says, I say this only to give give God glory. But he said, I have seen, this is what Edward Kimball, Moody Sabbath School teacher said about Moody. I have seen few persons who, whose minds were spiritually darker than was his. And I think that the committee of the Mount Vernon Church seldom met an applicant for membership more unlikely to ever become a Christian of clear and decided views of the gospel. That's what Moody's church thought about him. Never have I seen a mind spiritually darker. And never has the committee considered someone for membership that was more unlikely to ever become a Christian of committed and clear, decided views of gospel truth. And so he was rejected by the church and seen as spiritually unfit. Now here's the interesting thing about this story. Here's the interesting thing about this story. Moody was actually converted in April of 1855. If you drive up to Boston or if you fly up to Boston, there's a plaque in Boston that says, at this location, in the back of a shoe store, Moody made his decision for Jesus Christ in April of 1855. He gets converted. He says, I'm converted. I'm a new person. I feel God's call on my life. And Moody then says, I'm gonna go join a church. And the church says, over our dead bodies, you're not joining this church. You're not fit to be a part of this church. It wasn't until a year later that they actually let him into the church, even though he had been converted. The call of God was not based on the past or even on what others would have said his preparation was, but we can look at Moody's life and say, clearly, clearly God called him. Spiritually dark mind, unfit to be a member, and yet changed many lives because of the gospel. Something else as I look at the life of Abraham that I've realized is that the call of God, just as it is not based upon the past, just as the call of God is not, not based upon what has happened previously, the call of God is also not based upon a perfect future. Now hear me, I'm not trying to say that we have an excuse to sin, but the call of God is also not based upon a perfect future. And I think this is something that some of us need to hear. I remember when, when I felt God calling me in my life, when I felt God calling me to, to serve him full time, my greatest fear, my greatest worry in accepting this calling was not the things that I had done in the past. You all know I've talked about those things. They were not the things that I've necessarily done in the past. My greatest fear was that I know me, and I was worried about what dumb things I would do in the future. That's what was, that was my greatest concern. God, if I accept this call, I don't know if I can be perfect. I don't know if I can, if I can represent you rightly. And, and so I was, I was hesitant. I wasn't worried about the past as much as I was worried about the future. But God's call is not based or predicated upon a perfect future. In fact, as we continue the study of the book of Genesis and we look at the life of Abraham, we continue to look at the life of Abraham, something we're going to see over and over and over again is that Abraham was anything from but perfect, right? Anything but perfect. In just a, in just a week or two, we're going to examine how Abraham was willing to sell out his wife twice. How many would say that's the example of a perfect model husband? God's call was not predicated on a perfect future either. If it was, folks, if God's call was predicated on a perfect future, guess what? We would not have the story of Noah we would not have the story of Abraham or Jacob or Isaac. We would not have the story of of Moses or Aaron. We would not have the story of, of David or Solomon. We would not have the story of Peter or James or John. If it was predicated on a perfect future, we would not have the stories of John Wesley and Martin Luther. We would not have the stories of Ellen White and William Miller. If God's call was based upon a perfect future, then we would not have the call of many of you or myself in this room. That's not what it's conditioned on. God's call, just as it's not predicated upon the past, it's also not predicated on a perfect future. Yes, yes, we should be growing in Christ. Yes, we should be be overcoming sin by the power of God. But some people say, man, I can't accept that call. I know me and I can never go forward. And while God's call does not depend Upon a perfect past, while God's call is not predicated upon a perfect past or upon a perfect future, I still believe that God, in spite of that, still one of the things I see from the life of Abraham is that God still wants to call us out of that past, though, and also into a better future. We may still struggle. We may still have the challenges. But God's call, we see, is something to call us out of. You know, the text today begins with the word go. It's the word go. But in Hebrew, the actual translation for this word is three words. Get thee out. That was God's call actually to Abraham. Get thee out. Get thee out of what? Get thee out of this place in which you are living. Something I've learned about the call of God and those of you who have experienced this and those of you who will experience it, you'll learn it. Something I know about the call of God is that God's call oftentimes calls us away from something else. It separates us from something. Now this is obvious in the bad things. Surely God wants to call us out of the bad things of the world. We know that God was calling Abraham away from the influence of the idol worshipers and the idol worshiping family. But but God's call also calls us out of not only the bad things, but sometimes God's call calls us away from good things as well. Abraham's story resonated with me deeply when I was even considering this call here because I've learned something about God's call. I've learned something about God's call. It has a disconcerting habit, a disconcerting habit of causing separations and leading us away from something. Separations that many times I have perceived good and valuable in my life, but still things that Jesus says I don't want you to depend upon that, so get thee out. Get thee out. Soren Kierkegaard said this about Abraham. He said he left one thing behind and took one thing with him. He left his worldly understanding behind and took faith with him. When God calls, folks, I believe without any reservation that there is always something that we have to leave behind, even sometimes a good thing. In that world in which Abraham lived, and I think even in our world today, the things of home were, were regarded as sacrosanct. In fact, people were born, they lived, and they died in all in one general area, in one general place. For, for me as an Adventist, this is hard to understand. I'm part of the great Advent movement. We've moved all over the place. I've lived in many states and gone, gone all over the place. But in fact, probably similar for you. How many of you are from somewhere besides this place here? Look at that. Almost all of us are from, beside, are from somewhere else here than here. When I was back in, um, when I was back in California and, and at my church, there was a number of people that had been born there in the Central Valley. They had been raised in the Central Valley. They were going to die in the Central Valley. My secretary uh, at, at, at the Spicelia Church, she had not been on an airplane well she said she had she got an airplane once and guess what it did it went up it flew a circle around Visalia and landed back in Visalia she was over 50 years old and had never left Visalia on an airplane she had driven like to San Francisco and stuff but never she lived she was born she lived and she was gonna die there many of the people I baptized were the same way there's, there's People, maybe we don't understand it quite as much as Adventists do sometimes, but, but there was this, there's this sacrosanct kind of view of a family that, that is too valuable, it's too important to be messed with. But to those who are true children of faith, there is something higher, there is something holier, there is the call of God that we, that we understand that there is no certainty that even the good things of our life will not clash with that, that God will oftentimes call us from that. In fact, I believe it is most likely that he will. The Bible tells us of a story in the book of Luke, Luke chapter 9, if you want to turn there to the book of Luke chapter 9. We learn here from Jesus when he's speaking about the call of God, he's talking about about when he called people, he's speaking about the call of God in Luke chapter 9, beginning in verse 57. It happened as they journeyed on the road, someone said to Jesus, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. In other words, if you come with me, if you follow me, you're going to be following me out of comfort into potential discomfort in your home. Then Jesus said to another, he actually called someone else, he said, follow me. And they said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. This guy's father passed away. And Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and preach the kingdom of God. And another also said, Lord, I will follow you, but first let me go and bid them farewell who are at my house. But Jesus said to him, no one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Now we we would read the story and surely we would think that a home, a secure home, taking care of your parents, going and and bidding your family to do, we would surely recognize all three of these things as good things. Can we say amen to that? These are good things, right? And yet the point that Jesus is making is that sometimes the call will even separate us from that which is good. Because Jesus wants us ultimately dependent upon him and his call is ultimately of the highest value. The call of God changes everything. The call of God is no respecter of, of persons. It's not, it's not concern about what has happened in the past. The call of God is not dependent upon someone being absolutely perfect in the future. Yes, we want to grow in grace and we want to grow in, in God's perfection, but it's a journey. The call of God separates us from things so that we will learn to be dependent upon Jesus and Jesus only. So Abraham was called even from that which was good in his life. And here's the other thing that I've learned about the call of God. The call of God oftentimes makes no sense. It makes no sense. As I studied the call of God to Abraham, I was even more amazed at his faith. It wasn't just like he was going on an adventure, but he was responding to God's promises And God's promises did not make sense. If you go back to Genesis chapter 11 and verse 30, and if you're looking at Genesis chapter 11 and verse 30, this is the introduction that we have to Abraham's wife. And the Bible says this the Bible says, but Sarai was barren. And the Bible wants to make sure that everyone understands what barren means. She had no child. Sarai, he says, was barren, she had no child. Y'all, that isn't there by accident. That isn't there by accident. God didn't put this in the Bible and say, okay, I'm just gonna randomly make this statement about, about Sarai, about Sarah. And and he's not, it's not even only preparation for later on when, when, when she does have a child. It's actually preparation for the very next verses. The very next verses tell us that God then made promises to Abraham. God made promises to Abraham. God said to Abraham, get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will make you a great nation. Two things that if you study those verses, two things that we see that God promised him that all the other blessings were predicated upon, that all the other blessings that that, that came throughout the ages to the people of Israel and to humanity in general were predicated upon. Two things he's promised. He's promised. A family, he's promised an abundance of people. That's what you need to become a great nation. And he's promised land. Now here is why the call of God makes no sense. When Abraham found out where he was going, he probably looked at it and said, wait a second, there's already people there and I'm pretty sure they're not gonna say, oh good, I'm glad you're coming to take my land. Can we read the rest of history, right? Look at the rest of history. And how long did it take for people to accept the fact that God had given the land to the Israelites? Well, some would say they still haven't accepted the fact that that ever happened, right? Abraham looks at this and says, wait, there's a giant obstacle. You're gonna give me this land, but there's a giant obstacle. There's no one that wants to give me their land. Number one, the second obstacle is this. You said you're gonna make me a great nation. And if I'm gonna get abundance of land and great nation, I've gotta have a lot of people and I've got no family. And the Bible just told us Sarah was barren, she had no child. By this point, they were 75 and and, and 65 years old. Surely, Abraham understood enough about biology to know this was not looking good, eh? He understood this. 75 years old before he left that country. He surely understood this by 75 years old. Two obstacles, two promises, two obstacles. The call of God made no sense. And it was based upon promises. And we said, well, God promised him all these things, but the promises made no sense. They made no sense. God's call oftentimes makes no sense. Y'all can be honest with you. You know, I'm going to be anyway, so I shouldn't even ask. But when we came here two and a half years ago uh, in September, I think it was early September, we were here one day. We were here less than 24 hours. We were here less than 24 hours, and Christine and I were were in the car on Thursday afternoon after we had been here, we got here on on Wednesday uh, evening, and we were in the car Thursday afternoon. We'd already had several meetings, and as we were in the car, we both looked at each other, and without needing any prompting of the other, we said, yeah, we're not coming here. (laughs) Now, there was some reasons why. There was a really big reason why. We won't get into any of that right now, but we said, you know, this is, these, some of these are too big of obstacles. Surely God would not call us away from our family. We're at a growing church. We've planted a church. That church is growing. Good things are happening out there. Surely God wouldn't call us away from there and away from California and away from our family. There was no way God would call us. But he did. And Christian and I, by the end of it, both knew it. But we both looked at it and said, this does not make sense to us. This does not make sense Can I tell you all something else? I still tell people, and I still think this sometimes, I still don't know how I'm the pastor of Spencerville Church. And I know some of you in your heart of hearts agree with me. (laughs) I mean, y'all are refined, and I say y'all and use poor English, and and I used to wear flip-flops and jeans and even t-shirts sometimes to work. I just think, man, it's funny that I'm here. God, you got a good sense of humor. This makes no sense to me other than that God is blessing. God's call changes everything. God's call is no respecter of persons. God call, God's call is not predicated upon us being perfect in the future. That we'll never stumble again. God's call oftentimes makes no sense, and God's call almost always, I would say always, separates us from something, and most often even something that is good. And here's the last thing I want you to know from God's calling, about God's calling, from the story of Abraham. God's calling is never complete without you, without you. You see, the most important verse, I think, in, or one of the most important verses in this part of Genesis, this is kind of entering us into a new section of Genesis, and, and, and the most important verse isn't actually God's calling, even though that's important. The most important verse is actually verse 4 of chapter 12, because all the rest of the book of Genesis hinges upon what takes place in verse 4 of chapter 12. The Bible tells us this. So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken to him. Man, God, this call is gonna change everything. Man, God, I haven't been prepared for this. Man, God, I'm still messed up. I know who I am. Man, God, this takes me away from all these things, all this comfort of my home and my family. Man, God, uh, this really doesn't make sense. But Abraham says, I'll step out in faith. I'll step out in faith. God's calling is not complete without you. I believe that God places a call, sometimes very large and sometimes smaller, in each and every one of our hearts. But the thing about all of God's calls, even when God says it very strongly, like, get thee out, ultimately, God gives us the freedom of choice. Free will. To be like Abram and say, okay, I'll step out or to walk away. The Bible says that Abram departed as the Lord had spoken to him. Abram's feet do the walking. The grace of God is the one that that, that delivers the call, but it does not replace the human response of saying, yes, Lord, I will go. At the end of each call is free choice, whether or not you and I are going to accept the call and follow God. So my question to you today on this Sabbath day in May, I want to ask you to pause for just a moment and think about where may God be calling you in your life? Is God calling you somewhere? Is God calling you out of maybe an unhealthy dating relationship? Is God calling you maybe out of, of the career that you're in, a very good and lucrative career into a new career. I look out here and I could point out several of you that have left careers that I'm like, how on earth did you leave that career? And our own staff, Lerone, man, how on earth did you leave that career? But is God calling you to something? Is God calling you into a new position of service within his church? Is God calling you to move somewhere that you're unfamiliar with? Is God maybe calling you out of this church to do something else somewhere where you could do more for him? Is God calling you to a college for the young people over here? Is God calling you to a college that you said, man, I'd never go to that college. I never am gonna go there. Where is God calling you? Will you get the out and take that step like Abram did and go where God calls you. Christine and I were driving back up the 29 to our hotel in September there. We'd had several more meetings. And we were driving back to our hotel. It was late at night. And we were driving up to our hotel in Columbia on the 29. And the car was absolute silent. It was, there was absolute silence in the car. The radio was off. Christine and I had not said a word to each other. But, but there was something that, there was a tension both of us were feeling as we were driving. And we didn't, weren't speaking, we weren't talking, we weren't conversing about, about what had just happened or what was, what was taking place or what was going on in our minds. And, and Christina picked up her phone. I saw the light of her phone go on. As it does, she turned her iPhone over and she began to dial someone. I didn't know who she was calling. I later learned that she was calling her mom. And she began to dial somebody and she dialed them. And I hear, as I'm sitting there driving in the silence, I hear Christina's voice and I hear two words as her voice cracks and literally a gasp came out of her. We're going. We're going. Two years later, it's past Thanksgiving, we were sitting around our table with some friends and with our family and we were sitting around the table and we were going around and sharing what we were thankful for at Thanksgiving. And Christina said, as we got to her, she said, I am thankful that God brought us to Maryland and there were tears in my eyes as I am reminded once again the best place to always be is where God has called you to be so where is God calling you to go the out and will you respond because that's the best place to be Lord Jesus we thank you so much for your call on each and every life whatever you're calling people to right now maybe it's huge, maybe it's smaller give them the faith and the courage to step out and to get thee out as you have called them to. Jesus, I thank you for the various calls you've put in my life, and I pray that you'll help us to remain faithful and humble, Christine and I, always to your call. We love you, Lord, in your name, amen.